housing is absolutely a climate issue because if you don't have proper housing, how are you supposed to uh, uh, protect yourself from the effects of climate crisis, right? How are you supposed to have uh, the uh, ability to shelter yourself when there's massive flooding everywhere and insurance doesn't cover you? anywhere right like now there are parts of ontario and parts of canada that are not covered by insurance companies because they're so prone to flooding because of the climate crisis so all these things are related and i think the ontario greens are the only ones who recognize the fact that issues are connected to each other welcome back to beyond culture with a podcast that attempts to bridge the gap between culture and politics i'm your host abel this episode is part of our ontario election docu-series called sick and tired you should check it out on uh, youtube if you haven't this is our full interview with uh, ontario green party deputy leader abhijit Mane. in this conversation we talked about abhijit's background what led him to join the ontario green party the affordability and climate crises in the province and diversity in politics among many other things uh, take a listen. So, got a special guest with us today, Abhijit Mane. Thank you for, you know, having a conversation with us. Yeah, such a pleasure to meet both of you and yeah, uh, and your entire team. Oh, uh, so we spent the day with you, canvassing a bit. Got to see the beautiful neighborhood. Uh, you were nominated as the candidate, the Green Party candidate for uh, Beaches East York, and back in April 2021. So it's been it's been almost more than a year since you've really been in this uh you know campaign but the real campaign you know started recently but you've been laying the groundwork for some time so how do you feel at this point of the campaign you must have knocked on so many doors by now yeah we've knocked on literally thousands of doors by now we like you said we started in april and uh it was really uh something different that i've never felt before because um i think we were talking about this earlier the fact that this neighborhood is so green small g green and has the potential to go big g green right and uh it's because of the values of this writing aligned perfectly with the party and so whenever i've knocked on doors I've always felt like people are ready to finally vote green because there's a candidate finally, you know, who can, who resonates with them, who, who, who they know is having a serious campaign because we've never run a serious campaign in the beaches before. Um, and, you know, like this time we have an office on Queen Street. We have uh, paid staff. We have volunteers in the hundreds. Uh, so, like, it really shows that we're putting a concerted effort here. And, yeah, finally now uh, it that the election is officially starting it i mean you know there's a mix of sheer terror and excitement um but i'm so happy to you know just talk to people at the doors and have conversations with my community because that's what politics at the end of the day has to be it's about public service not mm-hmm. public glory yes no and uh, i was uh, looking through you guys's campaign photos and i'm seeing you've literally campaigned in every weather snow you know rain everything physically what is it what is it like to be in the full swing of your own campaign? Because I know you've helped a lot of people a campaign as well. So what is that like when you're suddenly you're the candidate for writing? I think you have to like give that much more to the campaign because you're, you know, like the leader, um, you're the one who's the face of the part of the, of the campaign. You're the face of all the volunteers, like you're putting in all the hard work. So I think you have to step up that much more um, being, uh, you know, like absent is, 
is not an option. Um, being um, not present for important events or not being there for every single canvas that we go out to is not an option. Um, and so I really think it's like you know if you're if you're in this you you are there because you're dedicated to a cause, and our cause is you know preserving the future of all generations to come and I think that's one worth fighting for because um, all the beauty we see around us is worth fighting for right uh, this is I, I hope that generations to come can enjoy the same clear blue skies they can enjoy the same clean water they can enjoy the same fresh air that we're breathing and uh, to fight for that I think is is an important thing and 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 I think the Ontario Greens are some, someone who are doing exactly that across the province. Mm-hmm. Now let's get a bit into your story because I know you've you've been able to kind of test out the waters of different parties, but you ultimately you've come down to the Green Party. Tell me really what went into that decision. Yeah, I mean my story starts back in India, right? Like I was born in Mumbai, India, um, and uh, I came to Canada in 2005. Um, but my my grandfather was a member of parliament back in India, uh, one of the first MPs of independent India after independence from the British Empire. And he was a big part of um, the independence movement, but also the social justice movement to help the urban poor, as well as the so-called low castes in India, right? And so he was a massive inspiration to me because his politics shaped me in many, many ways. And he never even talked about his accomplishments because he said, you know, like that was the generation that said, you know, again, like politics should be about public service, not public glory. And that's something that really resonated with me. Um, And so when I came to Canada, I first volunteered with the Liberal Party provincially. Uh, I used to live in Mississauga back then. So I volunteered with my MPP there. And uh, I really like her and I still do. And I still think she's a fantastic uh, MPP and now she's a councillor. But... um, I really think that uh, some of the things that I saw within status quo parties was turning me into a jaded and cynical person. And so that wasn't working for me. And I had, and, and really what, what um, was the straw that broke the camel's back for me was when Prime Minister Trudeau went back on his promise of electoral reform back in 2015. And I said, well, that's it. I, I can't be a part of the party anymore that doesn't fulfill this most important of promises mm-hmm. that is so necessary for a democracy. And so I left the Liberal Party uh, and was in the political wilderness for a long, long time. And I came across Mike Schreiner, who's the Ontario Greens leader. And he wasn't even elected back then. And he was doing an interview with Steve Pakin on the agenda. Mm-hmm. And uh, on there, he was talking about uh, a campaign finance reform bill that the Kathleen Wynne Liberal government was passing. Mm-hmm. And he'd helped do a lot of the legwork for it. He'd worked hard on it. But the only way that it was going to pass was if Mike didn't take credit for it, if the Liberals took all the credit for it. Oh, wow. And so... Uh, and so that's why he said, it's fine, take my name off, because as long as it helps Ontario's democracy, that's fine with me. This is not what it's about. And I said, there's my guy. You know, that, that's, that's someone who reminds me of my grandfather. That's someone who's, like, deserving of his political legacy. And so I said, if I ever want to join politics again um, and, you know, do away with my political apathy, that's who I would. And then so I checked out the Green Party policies, and they perfectly aligned with my values. And... I said, oh, uh, I called our political organizing director back then, who was Amy, and she said, I, I told Amy, you know, like, uh, I have some experience working as a staff. Would you like 
me as a volunteer or like a hired staff and she's like why don't you run as a candidate and i was like what are you talking about i'm 28 years old man what do you what do you mean candidate um because i thought i'd want to run for public office one day but never in my 20s right mm-hmm. so then i talked with my girlfriend i talked with my parents and i said you know here's an opportunity being given to me to talk about my values my ideas my beliefs and uh why am i saying no you know uh, i i i have to take this opportunity because if not now then when mm-hmm. and um and so i decided to run in 2018 although the the aim of that election was to get mike elected mm-hmm. and so i just i dedicated like 80% of my time campaigning in Guelph for Mike and and we were able to do that so Mike was elected in 2018 um as the first green MPP and um and so this time around, and then in 2018 later that year uh at our convention I was also elected deputy leader and since then I've also toured across the country helped the greens win in PEI New Brunswick uh Winnipeg um and uh and Ontario so uh I've learned a lot about how greens can win in other places and I want to do the same thing here in Beaches East York. Yeah. And you talked a bit about the your age, you know, you're a young guy in politics, you're deputy leader of the Green Party, now you're a candidate in Beaches East York. And I I just saw that you were, you know, uh canvassing with your father on 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 Earth Day. So it did put things into perspective for me. I'm like he's a very young candidate, so in your mind like did you ever think about like man i did not think i would be doing this at this age like <laughs> no definitely not i i mean if you told like an 18 year old me that this is like in your 30s you'd be a candidate i'd be like what are you, what are you smoking man like yeah uh but it really i think shows that uh you know greens empower young voices even if you look at our uh like our provincial executive uh council like it's basically our governance uh council or even um the candidates like even the candidates today right Kara De Gagne she is a candidate out in Spadina Fort York she's a mother of an 8 month old and she canvasses with her baby every single day whether you look out at um uh out east to Scarborough uh 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 our neighboring riding in Scarborough uh Kara Brido is also a young person um our staff if you look at it they're all in their 20s or 30s um it just shows this party recognizes that that's who we're fighting for and so we need to have that representation in politics because how is someone in their 50s or 60s supposed to identify with the sheer terror that we feel every single day about what's coming down the road right how are they supposed to have like i understand they would have empathy mm-hmm. but they would have no way of knowing how much suffering there's going to be because they're not going to be here to witness it we are going to be here and so we need to have a voice in what happens next and and i think that's why young people need to get more involved in politics because it's it's such a such an important you know avenue of change and and i i'm an eternal optimist and i think i i really think that we still have a chance of of turning around and mm-hmm. and having uh the ability to create a better world just we just need the leadership in in place to to be able to do that and i think that's a great segue into uh climate change and since uh you're the green party i think this is a great topic to to start with um recently the intergovernment the un intergovernmental panel on climate change released its sixth report and uh uh 
it basically says that like the time to act is now on climate change and uh, so I'm wondering what can be done on the provincial level of Ontario and what can the Green Party do differently when it comes to addressing climate change, which is an important issue for many young people, as you just mentioned. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think per- people people think that, you know, climate change is mostly a federal issue because, like, what can provincial governments do? Provincial governments can do so much, whether it's the... Uh, rebates on EVs, right? For example, this is just a very small thing. EVs are not the biggest part of the solution, but it's a part of the solution. $10,000 for every single electric vehicle, new one that you buy, or $1,000 for every used electric vehicle you buy will will spur so many to buy EVs, right? Because right now, I think the biggest barrier is that initial mm-hmm. uh, initial. Um, purchase price mm-hmm. right so if you reduce it by ten thousand dollars that is a significant reduction mm-hmm. and with the gas prices we're seeing right now i think today it was like 190 something uh it was it, it is absolutely unsustainable uh, mm-hmm. we're already being uh you know uh consumed by the affordability crisis in so many other ways whether it's food prices whether it's a f- housing prices uh, that's another thing mm-hmm. that's really hurting ontarians and so if the ontario government invested in rebates for both uh, retrofits mm-hmm. uh, in your ha- own housing and it doesn't have to be just solar panels it can be things like insulation it can be things like caulking you know, simple things which make energy efficient homes um, would be covered by rebates and that also saves a lot of money the other thing that provincial governments can do also is investments in healthcare and education right two major facets which never get talked in the climate lens housing is absolutely a climate issue because if you don't have proper housing how are you supposed to uh, uh, protect yourself from the effects of climate crisis right how are you supposed to have uh, the uh, ability to shelter yourself when there's massive flooding everywhere and insurance doesn't cover you anywhere right like now there are parts of Ontario and parts of Canada that are not covered by insurance companies because they're so prone to flooding because of the climate crisis so all these things are related and I think the Ontario Greens are the only ones who recognize the fact that issues are connected to each other housing is connected to poverty is connected to health care is connected to climate is connected to you know all these issues are connected you cannot look at them as separate things they all need to be looked at in a holistic way and therefore they need a holistic solution Solution. And every single plan that you look about the greens always concentrate on that holistic solution. And we recognize we probably won't be forming government anytime soon. But even if we have, you know, four, five, six, seven green MPPs in there in a minority government setting, we can be the, the balance of power or I like to call balance of responsibility and help guide the next minority government towards a more sustainable, more green and more caring uh, Ontario. And it's possible. In this election, it's absolutely possible because Mike Schreiner has shown us in the past four years what one Green MPP can do, which is, by the way, pass, I think, the only opposition MPP who was able to pass his own bill with all-party cooperation. Uh, He was the only one who passed his other bill to second reading with all-party cooperation. He was able to work with every single, uh, uh, you know, many, many different, uh, special, like, interest groups to create uh, legislation which helps protect our water, our land, our food, um, and, and also make sure that, um, uh, you know, uh, the fact that, that one Green MPP has been able to do that, it just shows that, imagine what we can do with, like, 
six, seven green MPPs, right? An entire green caucus in Ontario would change the face of Ontario politics. And I think that's what that's where we're heading, really. We're seeing amazing um, results out in Perry Sound, Muskoka, in Beaches, East York, University, Rosedale, Dufferin, Caledon. Amazing candidates. My co-deputy leader is Diane Sachs, who's the former environmental commissioner of Ontario. As Mike mentioned earlier in the rally, Doug Ford kicked her out of uh, her office and she's coming back as an MPP and that would be a sight to see. So it just shows the Ontario Greens have a real chance of changing Ontario's politics and I think we'll see that this election. Yeah, and I think one thing you said that was interesting is that a lot of these issues are interrelated. When we're talking about housing, then we start talking about minimum wage workers and we talk about the labor issue and I believe you were at the Mayday rally, yep. Mayday rally. Yep. yeah I was there I was there too actually oh, you were there too? Okay, yeah, cool. yeah 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 and I what I found interesting is seeing just the different types of workers we have in Ontario you know you have migrant workers that were there right. you had our nurses you had steel workers you had different types of workers that all have you know uh, different issues and when we look at what this pandemic you know has changed in you know in Ontario is you know this designation of having certain workers as essential workers but it doesn't seem like they're being paid as essential workers. No, they're not. So yeah. to talk to me a bit about that, the, the labor the labor issue in, in the province. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, my, my first uh, uh, brush with labor issues actually started because of food. Uh, I was uh, I was deeply into f- uh, food, um, uh, like, and just learning about agriculture and food systems. Uh, reading a lot about Michael Pollan and Raj Patel and... Uh, uh, they talk about, you know, like food is an excellent topic to talk about a bunch of different things, whether it's agriculture, whether it's healthcare, or whether it's labor. Uh, because there was a, uh, a labor uh, group, I think in Florida, who were able to effectively organize farm workers and uh, were able to demand their rights and, and, and were able to win. Uh, because they went to basically shame the multinational companies uh, into, uh, you know, uh, by showing the horrific practices that they were, uh, you know, um, empowering. And so um, it just it just showed me that, you know, like my my association with the labor movement was it was very strong in the 20th century. And now it's been weakened by neoliberalism and, you know, all the stuff that Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan have sponsored the trickle-down capitalism extractive stuff. Um, I think it really, it really uh, weakened the, the 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 labor movement. But I think the labor movement is absolutely still relevant because it keeps uh, you know workers protected. I think you know like the the whether it's the weekend, whether it's the eight-hour day, whether it's parental leave, all those things are because of the labor movement. And workers today are absolutely being uh, exploited wherever there isn't a protection of, of organized labor, right? Whether you look at the gig economy, whether you look at uh, uh, precarious work in, um, as you said, migrant workers in, in uh, our farms and fields, uh, whether it's um, uh, low uh, income sort of, you know, minimum wage jobs, which shouldn't really even be a thing. There shouldn't be a minimum wage. There should be a livable wage every single place that we go to, right? And in Toronto itself, what are you supposed to do with $15 an hour when necessarily just to, excuse me, just to survive, excuse me, just to survive, you need $22, right? In, in just the city of Toronto. And 
if you're giving $15, that's basically you're, you're designating people to poverty. And then on top of that, you're shaming them for their lifestyles, right? It just goes to show how broken the system is. And that's why we've been um, advocating for a universal basic income or a guaranteed livable income because it's such a need right now because of all the income insecurity that we're seeing across society. And on top of that, another thing that's not often talked about is how much automation is driving a lot of these things as well, right? Automation in many different sectors. I mean, even like Tesla is trying to make their cars autonomous now. And so you're taking drivers off the road. You're taking uh, food delivery drivers. You're taking truck delivery drivers. All those off the road, and that's not just it. It's gonna. It's not. That's not where it's gonna stop. It's gonna. Whether you look at uh, grocery stores, whether you look at retail stores, all those checkouts now are automated. So where are these people supposed to go, right? And that's why we need a universal basic income or a guaranteed livable income, so people have a safety net for when they don't have ability to earn an income. They can at least pay for their rent, their food, the basic necessities of life, and at that same time then can explore other avenues for expanding their skill sets, their whatever, right? Like when the basic income pilot was being done in Hamilton uh, before Ford, Doug Ford cut it, we saw people say that they started small businesses, they completed their degrees, they uh, took, be- took better care of their children, they were able to uh, have a more substantial and more fulfilling life and that's exactly what we've seen play out in other basic income pilots across the world whether it's in uh, uh, Norwegian countries or whether it's in uh, Saskatchewan whether it's in uh, other parts of the world we see basic income works and we need to do the same right here in Ontario and we can't obviously talk about the pandemic and not talk about the mental health aspect to the pandemic as well i know the green party released you know their strategy in terms of tackling that there's two things i found really interesting in there one of them is creating basically a three-digit hotline you know same way we have 911 and all those things because now you make it so that if somebody's dealing with like a substance or mental health related case then you know you have a dedicated number to call and then you have a dedicated response team that can deal with that which is an issue we have and at the same time also you guys are investing more into a uh, youth wellness hub so because the youth in this pandemic have a lot of time they don't have a voice to to share what they've been go- going through as well and we do have a mental health crisis due uh, to this pandemic especially with young people so let's talk a bit about the mental health yeah absolutely i think the 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 big effort to include mental health care within ohip is such a revolutionary idea um i mean it shouldn't be a revolutionary idea because it should be part of a universal health care system when you say you're universal you should have all those things included within it anyways but Unfortunately, we don't. So I'm glad the Ontario Greens are stepping up and making that a part of our platform. Um, we, I think, in terms of uh, the the hotline number that you mentioned, I think it's an important necessity. I work in um, in the developmental sector uh, in my nine to five job, where I work with folks with autism, with Down syndrome, and oftentimes, uh, uh, you know, like there's often layers of mental health associated with a lot of uh, developmental disabilities, and so we often train police forces we train emergency services uh, about interacting with our population but uh, so many people don't know what it takes to interact with 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 those folks which is why i think that that hotline is important because we need professionals dedicated specifically to deal with mental health issues uh, and with uh, with substance use 
issues to, to, to deal with it. I don't think the police or any emergency, other emergency services have the skill sets or the, or the ability to deal with those specific crises. And they need nonviolent interventions. They need uh, interventions that are um, you know, done by professionals who know what they're doing rather than someone whose job it is you know, to protect and serve. Right? The police's job shouldn't be the same job as what people with uh, severe mental health crises uh, uh, need to be serviced by. Uh, and so I really think that um, that initiative will help a lot of Ontarians. And when it comes to the youth hubs, I think, you know, uh, young people have been disproportionately affected by the pandemic. Um, a lot of people have lost their jobs. A lot of people have lost their homes. A lot of people have even lost their, um, uh, you know, families by because of all the social tensions that have arose uh, uh, during the pandemic. And I think that service uh, is ne so necessary because you're talking about the future of this, of this entire province. Mm -hmm. And if its mental health is not cared for, then the exacerbation of that entire problem will become a full-blown crisis in five, ten years. And that needs to be addressed right now. And it just shows how Ontario Greens think about healthcare in general. Uh, we always think that healthcare needs to be, uh, uh, um, like, the solutions always lie down, like, upstream in the sense that we need to be investing in community care. We need to be investing in community clinics, nurse practitioner clinics, home care, community-based solutions where you don't have to worry about them going then to acute care later on when the problem turns into a crisis, right? If you invest in the community solutions today and preventable models of healthcare today, then you don't have to worry about investing in acute care tomorrow. But all other parties are just talking about investing in hospitals, investing in acute care, which is important, but also important is investments in community healthcare, which lead to all sorts of, um, you know, more cost effective, but also less severe outcomes uh, later on. Um, and another thing that we also need to talk about is investments in housing and, and, and income support. I talked about basic income, but housing is a big piece of the puzzle as well, because people don't recognize that housing is a part of the healthcare crisis, right? Uh, how are you supposed to take care of yourself if you don't have a roof over your head? How are you supposed to uh, be feel safe if you don't have somewhere to call home? And so I, I really think that uh, those social determinants of health, as they're called, whether it's income, whether it's uh, housing, all need to be part of the healthcare solution. And again, Greens are the only one who recognize that holistic picture and take that into account. And one of the, the issues that doesn't get talked much about when talking about mental health, and this relates also to labor issues, is the burnout uh, problem that uh, many workers are feeling. I, I was recently reading a survey that was done in uh, December 2021 across Canada, and 35% uh, of workers across Canada uh, said that they were feeling burned out. and. Uh, so in different sectors, that number was rising. So in uh, the 66% of nurses felt burned out, and you have like you you have the pandemic really uh, affecting peoples in different ways and workers in different ways. What can be done to uh, uh, to address that? Because that's like a, that's one of the issues. 
parts that doesn't get talked much about. We talk about mental health. We mm. want to talk about it when we get to the point of crisis with, uh, you know, like suicide and you know those really unfortunate uh events but we i feel like uh, we also need to talk about something that people and workers uh are going through uh, every single day such as burnout yeah absolutely i mean you know if you look at the specific example of nurses right like we called them healthcare heroes throughout the pandemic and then when it came to them asking for uh, a just compensation for all the hard work that they're doing, the Doug Ford government uh, introduced Bill 124 to cap their incomes and not be able to uh, lead to a, a, a rise in their incomes uh, adjusted for inflation, right? And it just shows that this uh, government is, uh, you know, it says that they're for people, but they're really for only some kind of people um, and and it really shows um, that workers are not someone who is top of mind for them um, whether whether when it comes to nurses Ontario Greens are advocating for the repeal of Bill 124 so that nurses get the just compensation that they deserve and they're leaving in the droves right now mm. so that's what adds to the burnout is the fact that when the workforce itself becomes so depleted that only a handful of nurses have to do the work of a hundred you know other nurses who left um, it really shows that the healthcare system is nowhere as robust as it was even before the pandemic started right before the pandemic started our healthcare system was a lot more healthier than it is now it just shows that we are nowhere ready to deal with the crises that are coming down the road or even the crisis that is raging across our hospitals to this day. Um, nurses, uh, healthcare workers, physicians, every single one of them are stretched beyond the point of uh, human tolerance. And it just shows that what they need is a government who recognizes that fact, who recognizes the value of their labor and gives them that just compensation. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just so simple, right? Like it, it, it seems like, a, 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 you know, a salary shouldn't be the, the solution to this, but that's what they're asking for. They're asking for just compensation for the labor that they're doing. And I think that's where it should start. The other issues of burnout are also uh, equated with um, with pay as well, but also with the way that the the healthcare system is structured. For example, when we look at uh, uh, elder care, right? When we when we looked at all the uh, uh, break, like the outbreaks we saw early on in in, in um, uh, elder care homes, uh, we just saw uh, a lot of uh, these outbreaks because workers were working in more than two uh, locations at one time right and that's how the virus was spreading from one place to the other and that was happening because they weren't being paid enough money as well PSWs right and it just goes to show compensation is such a big part of the solution that if you don't pay them a livable wage if you don't pay them a fair wage then all these other systemic issues are going to creep in and if you don't address the issue right at the systemic level if you're going to blame individuals if you're going to for it it's not going to help anyone it's the same thing as a climate crisis right so for in the, for example in the climate crisis people like to say you know if you don't eat vegan if you don't eat uh, if you don't drive electric vehicles if you don't um, uh, live a green lifestyle then you're the ones to blame for the climate crisis but it's actually the 70 percent of all greenhouse gas emissions are done by governments and organizations companies right corporations 
So if we don't change those systemic level things, then how are people supposed to change their lifestyle, right? How, if you don't make it easier for them to drive an EV, how are they supposed to make that decision? If you don't make it cheaper for them to buy uh, uh, fruits and vegetables, healthy food, how are they supposed to make that choice? It's up to governments to make it easier for people to make those choices. And that's why we need to make changes at systemic levels and not blame individuals for it. And. Uh, I feel like I think we have to wrap up soon, but I want to quickly get your uh, takes on uh, the affordability crisis that we're going through. First of all, uh, we have a housing crisis. I want to get your opinion on uh, what's going on there. Like, is it a supply issue, a demand issue? What sort of solutions must be uh, must be advanced to to deal with that? And uh, and then we you can also talk about uh, just the, the affordability crisis in general. We have. Uh, uh, I believe the Ontario Liberals just came out with the buck a ride uh, promise, and that's been going on. That's been in the media for some time because uh, they they argue that that would reduce the cost of of transport transportation and uh, reduce emissions. So, what can what can be done in terms of uh, uh, the affordability crisis in Ontario? Yeah. So when it comes to housing, there are many, many reasons for it. A big part of it is uh, is just rampant speculation, making housing into an asset rather than a place for people to live. And um, and so the Ontario Greens, we've come up with uh, uh, a speculation tax, 20% on anyone who, bought, who buys like the third home, uh, because really, like housing should be for people to live in, not to you know grow rich out of. Basically, uh, about I'd say 60 to 75 percent of Canadian equity is invested in real estate, and that is a huge part of the problem because it's tied in so much to the economy that the government doesn't want the housing rates to go down because if they do, then the economy crashes itself. Secondly. Uh, a lot of our elders, right, like our, our seniors, have their equity in housing. So that's their investment in uh, for retirement. That's their nest egg for when you know they need to um, uh, uh, grow older. And and that's another part. So if you don't address things like CPP, if you don't address things like old age pension, income insecurity after retirement, you're not going to be able to address the housing crisis. And then lastly, a big part of this is also to do with, um, um, you know, all, a lot of the uh, practices that we're seeing out there, including not enough supply being built. But Doug Ford's solution is to punch through the green belt and build as many houses as possible, whereas the interior greens are saying the best way to build housing, 80% of Toronto's land, of the GTA, sorry, is not, like, that was slotted for development has still not been utilized for building development properties. We're saying use that land. We're saying build, uh, you know, like have, give people the ability. If people don't want to move out of their homes and if they want to downsize, they can create duplexes or triplexes within their own home. But currently, because of all the uh, bureaucratic red tape around it, uh, they can't do that effectively. And so we're saying get rid of that so that it's make, it makes it easier for people to create those duplexes or triplexes or quadplexes and create more supply for housing. Uh, another thing is laneway housing. Another thing is granny suites, right? Innovative solutions that you can build within the city uh, to be able to expand housing supply. It's absolutely possible, but 
unfortunately Doug Ford only listens to his developer donors and that's why he's building Highway 413, that's why he's building the Bradford Bypass, that's why he's building uh, real estate developments across the Greenbelt, uh, which will do more harm than good because it, uh, whenever there's urban sprawl, it always leads to as more greenhouse gas emissions down the road. Um, and the affordability crisis in general, I think, needs to be addressed in a much more, again, holistic way. Right? I mean, cutting TTC uh, rates is, is great. I mean, I think that's fantastic. I, I, I personally think transit should be free. I don't think it should be charged at all. If you look at certain parts of Europe, they have exactly that. Uh, because transit should be you know, part of the commons. It should be part of a system where uh, people need to be, uh, you know, whoever needs to use transit should be able to do it. But in terms of, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, this government's priorities, again, I, as I talked about, they, they're instead investing in Highway 413 and the Bradford Bypass. Those billions of dollars could be easily invested to make better public transit and more cheaper public transit. Again, another thing that Doug Ford did was um, those license plate sticker fees, right, that he returned to everyone, which cost the government $1 billion in revenue every single year. The NDP and the Liberals like lambasted for him, but then they voted for it. And Mike was the only one who voted against it. And it just shows the Ontario Greens stand for, you know, these sort of absolutely no-nonsense ideas that we need right now in the sense that Mike, when he was asked, you know, what do you think of Doug Ford's uh, election gimmick? And he said, that is exactly what it is. It's an election gimmick. And I'm I'm so sad that, that the NDP that's sorely needed in this province. And if you're going to be playing politics with people's lives and trying to bribe them just before elections, that's not how politics should be done. And, and I'm glad that the Ontario Greens are leading the way on this in, in, in terms of making Ontario politics more healthy, more caring, more green. Mm-hmm. And we've been in this beautiful neighborhood for some time now. Final question before we close everything off. You know, from the kid from Mumbai to... You know, the Green Party deputy leader, you know, you're a person of color and this uh, and this institution of politics that, you know, that has does, doesn't have like the minorities or not, you know, the majorities, obviously. So uh, what is that like for you just uh, breaking through uh, those barriers, you know, and being a representation for other people that, you know, that would look like you? Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a big deal. I, I really think, you know, like we were talking about this earlier, how, how much of a small club politics is, how exclusive it is, um, how hard it is to to get in it. Um, and it really still feels that way to, to a large degree, but I'm glad that it's changing better. I'm glad more people of color, uh, people from LGBTQ communities, from um, uh, all sorts of marginalized groups are, are getting more involved in politics. And I think it's still not enough. I think we still have a long, long way to go. Uh, we still have uh, to fight all sorts of systemic discrimination that's baked into our systems. But whatever little thing that I can do, whoever you know watches this and looks at another uh, brown man talking about politics, I, I hope it, it, it resonates with you and you two think that you can do it because uh, you absolutely can. I mean, I'm no, I'm not, I'm no one special. I'm not yeah. that smart. Uh, all I do is put in hard work. All I do is uh, uh, speak. You know what is my truth, and 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 I hope 
that it works and resonates with other people. And that's what politics at the end of the day is. It's about public service. And, uh, and yeah, I, I take my grandfather's example with me every day because that's, uh, that's what we need politics to become again. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for your time, Abhijit. Thank you so much, Shivan. And good luck with the election. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right.